Welcome to Radio Who, What, Why. I'm Jeff Shackman. Millions of words have been written about millennials and the Democratic Party. The debate about how left they are, how involved they are, how can or will they be mobilized to participate in the midterms are all subjects of feature stories and cable news fodder. It all goes with the old adage, the origins of which are a bit murky, that if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart, and if you're not a conservative by middle age, you have no head. The fact is there are many young conservatives, be they young Republicans, college Republicans, or members of many other groups. Some are traditional conservatives, some libertarian, some Trumpian, and some trying to define a new millennial approach to what it means to be a conservative or a Republican. Clearly, like the divisions on the left, the gap between Donald Trump and Edmund Burke is wide, but filled with opportunity and consequences for the GOP of tomorrow. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Eliza Gray. Eliza has written and edited for Time, Newsweek, and The New Republic, previously reported from London, Washington, and Brussels, and has written cover stories about transgender rights, campus rape, synthetic drugs, and hiring practices. Her work has been nominated for numerous awards, and she's appeared on TV, radio, and podcasts. It is my pleasure to welcome Eliza Gray here to talk about her recent article in the Washington Post magazine, The Next Generation of Republicans. How Trumpian are they? Eliza Gray, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for for having me. I'm excited to be here. In order to do this project, you set out to interview an awful lot of young conservatives, young Republicans. Talk a little bit about that process first. Yeah, so um, I had this assignment that I needed to talk to 50 young conservatives um, under the age of 24. That was my uh, assignment. And I started with um, college Republicans because I knew that if I reached out to leaders in those groups that, um, you know, I would I would start to get um, a bit of a picture. I think what my editor and I agreed um, was that I really wanted to to reach out to the future leaders of the party, um, people who really were aspiring to be involved. Um, so not necessarily just totally average voters, which you could certainly argue is a flaw, but I think that was what I was, that was the group of people I was looking looking at. Um, so I started with the college Republicans, and then I sort of realized as I was talking to them that there are a lot of other groups, none of them, not all of them actually get along, just like sort of as you said in your intro, um, with Democrats, there are um, different kinds of Republicans. Um, and so there's a new group called Turning Point USA, um, founded by kind of a firebrand, Charlie Kirk, who's very Trumpian. Um, and so he um, he had a big political action conference last December. There were like 3,000 kids there. So he and he himself is, is in his mid-20s, early 20s. So there's that group um, that had sort of cropped up what was new from, from when I had been in college, um, there's the Young Americans for Liberty, which has been around for, I sort of came out of the Ron Paul campaign um, for president um, a few years ago, and they are huge. They're actually bigger than the college Republicans now, which reflects um, a growing popularity of libertarianism among young conservatives. Um, and um, then there's a, you know, there was the Young Americans for Freedom, which was a Buckley-created group Um that's also around and also some women's groups. So I really tried to find um, various sort of places along the ideological spectrum by reaching out to these different groups. And I also talked to some people who um, have graduated from college and kind of are working in Republican politics. And I tried to, to, to be 
uh, to look at various states. You know, I, I focused on sort of big states and big political states. So I didn't talk to somebody from all 50, but sort of made sure I hit the big ones like Wisconsin and California and Ohio and places like that. Did you find among these young people that given political correctness, given the, the vast numbers of, of young Democrats and young liberals on campuses today, that it is harder for them to be a Republican or be a conservative on campus? And given that it might be harder, did it redouble their commitment to whatever their ideology might be? So, um, yes and no. I think that um, it has always been difficult to be a Republican on campus. That is not a new phenomenon as of the last decade. Um, You know, when William S. Buckley founded Young Americans for Freedom in the 60s, you know, that was already an issue, certainly during sort of the counterculture of the 60s, I think there was a lot of anti-conservative sentiment and certainly Ronald Reagan um, in the run-up to his election and in the years that he was president throughout the 80s, um, you know, he was very active with the Conservative Political Action Conference, which is a young conservative conference that um, happens in D.C. every year, and he spoke to young conservatives about kind of the problems of Marxism on campus. So, this has always been an issue for conservatives on campus. I do think that it has reached something of a fever pitch, though. Um, I think that particularly with regard to sensitivities on the left, um, when it comes to things like safe spaces and sort of saying that um, certain people of certain and identity politics, this idea that if you are a white man, you your position on any number of subjects kind of isn't valid and you shouldn't share it. Um, right. I think there's been um, you've seen a push from young conservatives on campus against what they see as violations of their free speech. Um, and that is new. Um, And that is a flip, of course, from the 60s when liberal activists on campus would have seen their free speech as a cause celebrity. Now you're seeing that on the right among young people, um, sort of saying that their speech is being stifled. Um, And I think that they've got some some good points there. And I certainly think it has not radicalized, but certainly made them more sort of even more eager to be provocative and bold because they know that their liberal classmates are going to perhaps be unreasonable in their response. Um, And I think that that motivates them to be even more offensive. Does that, does that make sense? Indeed. And, and I guess the overlay to that then is that given that it, there was this underlying desire to be provocative and bold and to engage in many cases in in their conservatism, whatever the brand might be, is kind of an intellectual exercise. How has that changed in the Trump era? And has it hurt or helped the efforts of conservatives to be more aggressive, to be more bold and experimental? I think what I found is that the Trump era has kind of hurt, has hurt that mm-hmm. um, because I think um, leading up to Trump, um, I think a lot of, to the extent that young conservatives did like him, um, and what I found was that by and large they tended to be less enthusiastic about him. 
But to the extent that they liked him, one thing that they did like was that he hit back against the media um, and um, and Hollywood and popular culture. Um, and you do see in sort of um, like the Harvard Institute of Politics does a youth survey every year, and you see a lot of mistrust among young conservatives towards the media in the same way that you would see that amongst older generations of conservatives. So I think when candidate Trump emerged, I think you saw a lot of young people sort of excited to see him hitting back at um, sort of some of the people who um, they felt sort of a little bit oppressed by ideologically on campus. So, for example, um, the, the lead of my story is a young, really, really wonderful young man, uh, Jacob Heinen, who um, is studying art agriculture at the University of Washington. And when you know, he had a really hard time when he arrived on campus because he came from a rural town and he found that, you know, everything he said in, said in class, you know, people were offended by and wanted to treat him like he was a horrible person just because he was conservative. And they weren't they weren't really interested in having arguments based on principle or ideas, but just really based on identity and name calling. And so, you know, he was excited about candidate Trump because it was sort of this provocative way of fighting back and you know, he helped build a wall on campus so that, you know, protesters would come. But then I think when Trump got elected and he started seeing some of this sort of nasty rhetoric, in, you know, really continuing on and, and sort of being about immigrants in certain groups, I think he was really turned off by that. Um, you know, as Ben Shapiro, sort of a young conservative whisperer, has said, you know, sometimes Trump hits, um, he's a hammer with a nail and sometimes you know, he hits the media and other times he hits a puppy, right? Where the puppy is a person who doesn't deserve um, to be hit. And that doesn't feel satisfying to young people. You know, they don't want to see vulnerable people being hit by the president. They they want to see, you know, powerful institutions that they don't feel great about being hit. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, Trump has kind of made it more difficult for them to figure out how to be on campus because he's hitting these groups that they don't think, you know, deserve to be hit. And I think it's sort of undermining, you know, their sense of being underdogs as well, because suddenly they're guys in office, right? And so it sort of changes um, the game for them. And I think in a, in a good way, actually, I think you're seeing students moving away from some of that provocation, not everywhere, but, um, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos came to, um, to Berkeley. He... I think he's fallen out of favor. You're just not seeing and getting invited anymore. Um, and when I was talking to young people, even the people that were a little bit more to the Trumpian end of the spectrum were not excited about Milo and didn't want to be associated with him in any way. So I think, I think you are seeing a little bit of a retreat from that. And I think that's potentially a good thing. One of the things you point out, though, is that a lot of people see that Trump is a way to move the conservative movement in a more libertarian direction. Talk about that. I'm not sure people necessarily do see Trump as a way of moving the party in a more libertarian direction. I mean, I guess I guess with regard to to um, foreign entanglements and wars, potentially, although Trump did um, get involved in, in Syrian airstrikes, which is certainly disappointing to some libertarians. I'm actually not sure that the libertarians see Trump as a, as a libertarian figure. Um, I think that 
libertarians. Um, but, but I do think that, that a lot more young people are libertarian. Um, what's interesting is, um, what's interesting is this sort of emergence of a term called conservatarian, which, um, I heard a number of times, um, it's a, the idea is sort of libertarian, except you're also pro-life and pro-Israel sometimes. Um, I think, um, young people are very pro-life, um, and they are doubling down on that. So I think you're seeing a lot of young people who are libertarian when it comes to foreign wars and um, sort of not getting involved, and also in terms of gay rights and issues around gender, but not so much around um, abortion, which is sort of a shift. Which raises the question of how involved are young Christian leaders and religious leaders active in conservative movement on college campuses? So I think certainly there are, you know, Christian colleges where you're going to see um, more of that. But I think actually Christian conservatives are a little bit at the cause level, level a little bit on the back foot because right now with issues around identity I think that Christian conservatives do tend to feel a little bit less comfortable with the shifts that we're seeing around gender fluidity among young people um, and also issues with regard to free speech um, with regard to gay marriage. So, you know, like the cake, the cake baker who's mm-hmm. being asked to bake a cake for a gay wedding um, I think you're seeing, you know, I think Christian conservatives aren't really on board with with that. Um, and I think, but I also think that young people understand how important it is to be tolerant. Um, and I think that they don't really know how to articulate their views on religious grounds without offending people. And I certainly don't want to offend anyone who's listening to say that, you know, Many of these are really delicate issues. I think um, there are people out there, though, who do differ um, on issues regarding gender and sexuality on religious grounds, and I think they don't know. I think they don't know how to talk about those issues without seeming like they are intolerant of others, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that's making it difficult for them to communicate their beliefs. Um, and I think libertarians are just getting a lot more traction with young people because I think young people of this generation have to where they grew up during the Iraq war. So a lot of young people I talked to were coming of age, coming to consciousness when 9-11 happened. Um, so their first memories, like six, seven years old when the Twin Towers were hit. Um, and so I think you see a lot of opposition to foreign entanglements. Um, and also, you know, they are disillusioned a bit with, you know, they don't think they're going to see Social Security, right? They don't think, they know that they're going to be saddled with mountains of student debt. So I think the libertarian message of government waste resonates a lot with them, with young people. What impact has, has Trump had and these changes in conservatism on, on the campuses that you're talking about, what impact has it had on traditional moderate Republicans that were part of a lot of these organizations like college Republicans? I think the moderates feel really, really alienated. So, I mean, one of the hopeful things that I tried to put forward in my piece 
Um, although, you know, is that I think that um, young Republicans that have held on do really want um, to move away from sort of the cult of personality and towards principles and ideals, which I think is, regardless of your political beliefs, I think that that's a good thing. Like, I think a lot of us are longing to be having conversations based on principles and ideas and policy as opposed to this personality or that personality or somebody who looks like this or looks like that. Um, but I think that, um, so, so I think that, that young moderates definitely that are holding on are, are hoping to build something like that. But I think a lot of them are holding, are really hanging on by a thread. I cited in my piece a Pew survey, which showed that between sort of the spring before Donald Trump's election and then sort of spring after the election, a quarter of people aged 18 to 29 who identify as Republican had switched to the Democratic Party. Um, So they lost a lot of people, Republicans did. And the young moderates that I spoke to were extremely concerned about Donald Trump, particularly because of what they see as an encouragement of white nationalism. Um, They were really disturbed by um, sort of the march at Charlottesville and the fact that the president was not emphatic about denouncing those protesters. And I think a lot of them are seeing an association between the Republican Party and racism. Um, And I think they don't deny that it existed, but I think for a while, but I think that they felt that previous Republican leaders have have tried to push those elements of the party away rather than embracing them. And I think they're seeing their perception is that the president is embracing those, those elements. And that I think is making a lot of them wonder whether they can continue to be associated with the Republican label. But there's also among some of them, you talk about a sense of pragmatism that, that they have to take that in order to get the things they like, like tax cuts or Neil Gorsuch. Yes. And I think that that's something that's going on, more in older generations. There's sort of a Faustian bargain of kind of, um, well, maybe we can look the other way on some of these um, sort of on corruption and treatment of women and um, sort of uncouth personality on Twitter um, in exchange for conservative judges and tax reform, right? Um, and I think you're seeing that a lot with older people. I will say, I want to be clear, I do think actually young people are more idealistic. And so one of the findings of my piece is that I think more more than less actually aren't okay with that. They want to see those two things separated. They want um, their leaders to take Trump head on and admit that there are problems while still sort of praising him when he does good. But I think that there were there definitely were some some young people I talked to who were very much taking that pragmatic approach. Like I'm going to praise Trump when he does good things, and I'm going to hit him back when he does bad things. Um, and ultimately, you know, he's going to be the vehicle by which I can get through the policies that I believe in. One of the things that that you mentioned in the piece that that I guess a lot of uh, young Republicans, young conservatives had issues with with respect to Trump was a sense of meanness. Talk about what you heard in that regard. Yeah, I think um, 
I think kind of, whoa, I hit it a little bit before. I think that young people are really sensitive to these issues of race and gender and identity um, in a way that their older generations are not. So I think even if you talk to a young person who's conservative who maybe does think it's okay for us to have stronger borders, they aren't going to be comfortable with describing um, immigrants in unkind terms because they actually do understand that immigrants are just coming here for a better life. And they are familiar with um, young people, their age, doctor recipients who were born in this country and, um, you know, have never known anywhere else. Most of the young Republicans I talked to were in favor of of the dreamers, um, doctor recipients staying in the country, even even the ones that sort of tended in the Trumpian direction. Um, so I think, um, and I also saw criminal justice reform as being super popular among young conservatives. In fact, it's a huge area of agreement between Democrats and Republicans. I wish we could, in my, in my dreams, I, I wish that we could see some movement there because it just feels like that's where there's a lot of agreement um, in a world where we disagree on quite a lot. Um, so I think, you know, and even as I mentioned, the Christian conservatives who maybe have some some theological opposition to issues around um, gender and sexuality, you know, really, really, really want to find a way to move forward in a positive and respectful direction of people um, who, you know, who are gay. And so I think that that's a real shift. Like, you don't, I don't know how to... This sort of idea of, like, if you can picture in your mind a very stereotypical, like, older Republican man in his 60s who kind of says really politically incorrect things, like, you're just not going to see that among younger people in their 20s. Like, they just don't, they're much more understanding. They've grown up in a much diverse, more diverse world than that. And they understand that, and they and they want to be able to move forward and build bridges in that, in that, in that way. So they may disagree with how Democrats want to handle things, but they don't want to be intolerant and nasty in their approach. Which goes to two heroes of, of the movement that you mentioned in the piece. One, you, you mentioned briefly before, Ben Shapiro, who's become kind of a rock star among conservatives on college campuses. And the other is Nikki Haley. Talk about both of them. Yeah, so I'll start with Ben Shapiro. I mean, he gets 15 million downloads a month um, for his podcast, The Ben Shapiro Show. Um, he's, you know, wildly popular. He, I mentioned in my piece, he came up unprompted in more than a third of my conversations when I just asked people open-ended, you know, who do you admire? And Ben Shapiro just, by far and away, the only person that was constantly, constantly mentioned and in really glowing terms. Um, and I think what's, What's important then is to look at Ben Shapiro and how he, you know, why is he so popular with young people and what does he represent? I mean, Ben Shapiro is not a Trumpian conservative. He, unlike Sean Hannity or a lot of people on Fox News who, um, you know, tend to be very all in for Trump, that is not the approach Ben Shapiro takes. He does take a sort of I will praise him when he does good. I will hit him when he does bad approach, which resonates really well with young people because they want honesty and intellectual honesty. So they don't want you to say that Trump 
is perfect because they know that that's not true and they want somebody who's going to be honest with them about that. Um, and I think, you know, Ben Shapiro also um, appeals to young people because he does appeal to ideas and philosophies. He likes to talk through arguments and why he believes what he believes, and he doesn't do it sort of as much from an identity perspective, but more from a kind of like, here's the logic behind my arguments. And I actually do think he does it in a really respectful way, which appeals to young people. Now, look, there are a lot of listeners who are probably hearing me right now. And if they know about Ben Shapiro, they think they really don't like him. They think that he's, you know, a prick and that he's the, you know, but actually, if you watch a video of Ben Shapiro speaking on a college campus, there's one of him at Ferris State in which he's putting out arguments that I find fairly offensive about transgender people. However, I would say he's not doing, I would say he's trying to do it in a way that does allow for some back and forth. Like he's not just shouting down the person he's talking to. He's having an engagement in a, I would say, a respectful way. It's sort of sad that we're in a place now where that feels like a revelatory, <laughs> um, like a revelatory thing. But but I am trying to communicate that I think that young people do want to have conversations that are respectful and thoughtful, and that's why they're they're so. I mean, that's not what we've seen from the president. Or, you know, I think regardless of where you stand politically, I think you're not seeing a whole lot of thoughtful engagement there, and it's not really what you're seeing from Sean Hannity. And so that's not what young people want. They really want to sort of engage on an intellectual. Level, and that's why Ben Shapiro appeals to them so much. Um, as for Nikki Haley, I think Nikki Haley has done a fin- I think she's such a person to watch. She has she has threaded the needle between the Trumpers and the Never Trumpers, and beautifully. Um, I think she has. I think she's in the administration, but she's emerged as a person that a lot of people thought of as an independent thinker. Um, and Kathy Dillon, one of the who loves Nikki Haley, one of the people I interviewed, you know, she's a pragmatist. So she's sort of like she's one of those folks who kind of um, is fine with with Trump to some degree because he helps put in the policies that she likes. But one of the reasons she really loved Nikki Haley was because Nikki Haley stands up to Trump and kind of has her own um, her own positions and is willing to kind of go away from the administration, she doesn't agree with them. So I think, um, you know, I think that's another indicator of these sort of young conservatives sort of rejecting the older generation's kind of wholesale um, embrace of Trump um, and everything he does. I think it, it shows that they, that they're not going to, you know, that, that they notice the things that he does wrong and that they're not going to, just stand by, you know, that they want to see criticism. And finally, Eliza, how is the conservative movement on campus today viewing the Democrats moving further and further to the left? How are they seeing that? How are they reacting to that? Yeah, I mean, I I think on campus, what you're seeing more um, reaction to than you would maybe amongst older people is, is, identity politics. So I think the reaction is less towards, you know, democratic socialism, which to be fair came up. I mean, democratic socialism has kind of emerged more recently than what I was speaking to 
um, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's running in New York, um, you know, her newsworthiness has happened sort of after these conversations. So I didn't really get an opportunity to talk to them so much about things like that and Medicare for all. But I think where it's manifesting itself is more um, sort of this sense that, I guess, with identity politics, the sense that, you know, that because of your race or your gender, that's kind of the driver of kind of your politics and what you believe. And I think that is potentially pushing conservative students away from Democrats um, and sort of more to the right in and and that's kind of where you're seeing a little bit of radicalization. Eliza Gray, her article, The Next Generation of Republicans, How Trumpian Are They?, appears in the July 16th issue of the Washington Post magazine. Eliza, I thank you so much for spending time with us here on Radio Who, What, Why. Thank you. And thank you for listening and for joining us here on Radio Who, What, Why. I hope you join us next week for another Radio Who, What, Why podcast. I'm Jeff Sheckman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. You can also support this podcast and all the work we do by going to whowhatwhy.org forward slash donate.